It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. fans and welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ. My name is Mark. Thank you for joining me again this week. I recorded a podcast last week and the Bulls happened to be on a two-game winning streak at that point. And honestly, when I was sort of planning out this podcast for this week, I did not expect to, I guess, open the show with another spiel about the Bulls being on a a winning streak, a continued winning streak. But look, here we are. The team is on a five-game winning streak and I guess up is down at the moment. Black is white and... Everything is just in complete reverse, so I don't really know how to process all of this uh, myself. So joining me today on the podcast is Will Gottlieb from The Athletic. He's going to be on, on here trying to, I guess, help make sense of all this, of what's going on and how the Bulls are, are winning these games and looking like a completely different team. So Will, appreciate you jumping on. It's a pleasure. I, I don't I know we've done a bunch of podcasts together. I think I was on Podman and I know you've been on my show a bunch, but I don't think I've been on Bulls HQ. Is that right? Or am I forgetting? I want to say it's right. It sounds right. And I think we've tried a few times to make it happen. And then maybe that's why in my mind it, it feels like you've been on, but you're probably right. I don't think you have because I've done probably half solo pods and then the other half being podcast with the guests but you may not have been on so if this is the first time it's um it's well overdue yeah i i i'm not remembering i could just be blocking it out because i was really bad guest or something but uh, anyway it's great to be here thanks for having me (laughs) no problem anytime mate but uh look i'm glad you're on here because i i need someone to help me break down what is happening at the moment with the bulls it doesn't make any sense at all the team is on a five game win streak they're doing it on I guess the the way they're playing has been completely unsustainable and it really, if you just think about probabilities, it makes no sense whatsoever. So I want you on here because you're you're an analytical mind. You're obviously a a very talented Bulls rider and I need someone here to really help me explain to myself as well as my listeners because it does not make any sense. How how are they doing this well? I, I don't get it. I mean, I think we just have to preface this by saying how crazy of a situation this is. I retweeted Micah Adams, who I think works for ESPN last night. Yeah, ESPN Stats and Info. 
and he shared the BPI percent chance of winning each of these individual games uh, for the past five games. So 15% win percentage against the Hornets, 32 against the Knicks, 17 against the Celtics, 25 against the Jazz, and 16 against the Bucks. So like less than 33% on all these, less than 20 on most of them. Uh, it's really incredible that they keep pulling out these wins. Um, I know you want to get into Nico. I have been really impressed with him. He's been fantastic, but really it's everybody. I mean, Chris Dunn is playing really well. He's kind of starting to put things together, shooting kind of okay, a little shaky still, but he's looked really good. Bobby Portis has been playing really well. Um, It's just a full team effort and it's really improbable, but you know, it's happening five games in a row. I can't, I can't believe it. Yeah, it's, it's crazy. And, and if you think about the Fred Hoiberg era, I, I guess we shouldn't be surprised because the Bulls have always been unpredictable during his tenure here. If, if you think about last season, there were stretches with the, the Rondo and Wade team where that obviously looked pretty poor, looked old, slow, no spacing whatsoever. But then all of a sudden, over two to three games, the team would look absolutely amazing as they did in, the I guess, the first two games of the playoff series against the Celtics. So... The unexplainable does happen under Fred Hoiberg, and I guess this is what's happening here. We we used to reference that team as the bipolar Bulls, and it's kind of happened here. Like I was looking at the defensive, or I guess the offensive rating and defensive rating of the team between games one to twenty three, and then games twenty four to twenty eight. It's like literally the exact opposite. The, the team was thirtieth in offensive rating, twenty eighth in, in defensive rating, and thirtieth overall in net rating, and. Through this five-game winning streak, they're 12th in offense, 4th in defense, and 4th in net rating, which is just ridiculous. And and you obviously mentioned the players that are contributing to that, but I, it still doesn't make sense to me, like, even if players are improving or, you know, playing much better, that to, to go from the 30th-ranked team or the 30th-ranked offense to all of a sudden the 12th, it, it's, truly, it's truly bizarre. It is bizarre. Um, And I think a lot of it is just some regression to the mean. Like during that 10 game losing streak, I don't think they, I mean, there were a few games in there where they probably should have won. Uh, There have been a few games in this five game win streak that they probably should have lost. So, uh, and this is something that I talked about on my show with Stefan. No, is that like, I think it evens itself out. Um, You know, five games in a row is definitely more than I thought. And it's more, it's like a quarter of the amount of wins that I thought they would win all year. And to do that in five games is pretty crazy. Um, But I do think like some of the stuff that we're seeing out there is sustainable. Some of it, not so much like there's, they're shooting a super high percentage. I don't know the exact number on mid range jumpers during this win streak. Um, They're just going crazy from three. I mean, it's all these things that are just falling right. Um, And as you said, I mean, it's totally in line with what we've seen over the Fred Hoiberg era. Like, you know, the the couple wins that they had in Boston in the playoffs last year, uh, the TNT streak continuing. I mean, it's just like all these crazy, inexplicable things that it's just coming to fruition somehow. Yeah, exactly. So so let's talk about what they are doing so that is, I guess, sustainable. And potentially we need to worry about in... Uh, I guess in terms of the ramifications for a tanking season. So let's talk about that. And, and I guess where I want to focus on is the power forward rotation as well as this improved bench because to me, that's not going to go away anytime soon and that's really made the Bulls a completely different team and they've they've got, I guess, a, a an eight to nine man rotation now that at minimum, if they play this hard and, and compete every night, they're going to be in a lot of games. 
Yeah, the addition of Nico back into the lineup has really changed things. Um, just pushing the pushing everybody back in the rotation. I know Markkanen has been out these past couple of games with those back spasms, which is a little frightening. But uh, you know, limiting Bobby's minutes, who can just kind of uh, hemorrhage points defensively. Um, getting Nawaba back, who's been just a revelation this year, uh, which limits Valentine's minutes, who's also really not great defensively. Uh, Chris Dunn has improved, and that's limited Jaron Grant's minutes. So all these guys who were playing really poorly are just getting fewer and fewer minutes. And I think, you know, we're not, that doesn't even mention the addition of Zach Levine, who's going to come back in the next month or so. So uh, the depth and the injury situation, I think we, I certainly was not prepared for how much of an effect that would have on winning and losing this year uh, at the start of the season. But it seems like it's really kind of affected them uh, in the past couple of games. And then on top of that, I think there's this notion of the unquantifiable that like Fred and Nico have been talking about after these games. And really everybody is just like feeling really confident, uh, feeling like they're playing the system that they want to play. Um, and those aren't necessarily things that you can put a number on. Um, although like, I think the pace has been up and, you know, there are, there are different metrics that you can look at in that way. But, um, I think they're just more confident. They're playing better basketball and they know it and they're making their shots. And, you know, I don't know that that, like the, the shooting percentages will always say the same, but, um, you know, 55% true shooting that's uh, over the past five games, that's above average. So, you know, maybe, maybe that goes back down and they start losing again. But, uh, you know, we're seeing a lot of things that I think do sustain and can kind of, even though they might hurt the tank, kind of show you that this team is maybe got some more pieces than I thought going into the season. Yeah, I think that's fair. And and to me, it, particularly in this Bucks game, and or what I saw was, was this competitive edge or this tenacious edge that we saw from the team when they were sort of getting down and it looked like the Bucks were going to really, I guess, extend their lead in the first quarter and take over. Typically, that's where, I guess, the Bulls team of the first 20 games would have folded, particularly going into that second quarter. That's where the team really lost a lot of games in that second quarter when, when Fred had to insert guys like Pondexter or, or Antonio Blakeney or Paul Zipser, uh, even Kay Felder, these sort of players that probably aren't really NBA players and shouldn't be in a, a rotation for a good NBA team. He, has, he was having to rely not on just one of those guys, but two or three at a time in a rotation. So just erasing those guys from the rotation and replacing them with Miritich and Portis and David Nwaba, it's completely changed the complexion of the team where you can actually, it's almost palpable, the, the team's confidence. And like I said in that Bucks game, I thought they were going to give up the lead, but all of a sudden in comes Bobby Portis and David Nwaba and, and with Chris Dunn on the floor, those three sort of steadied the ship and actually gave the Bulls a lead. And I was sitting there at halftime thinking, okay, the Bulls are up here 59-58, any, any other game, maybe let's say it was game 10 of the season, they probably were down 20 points at that point. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you have to put Nico Miritich into that situation as well with the more passable defenders on the floor. Uh, I've always been on Nico Miritich Island in terms of not only him uh, being kind of misunderstood offensively, but I've always thought he's been a very solid above average defender positionally, obviously not a rim protector, but knows where to be on the floor can kind of jump passing lanes and, and get out and get some steals. 
Um, he times his shot blocking well and, and like is not a rim protector, but uh, does block some shots. So uh, limiting Bobby Portis's minutes, as I said, and putting him in there, I think that helps raise the defensive ceiling. And we're seeing it. I mean, 98 and a half defensive rating over these past five games, which is first in the league. So um, really impressive defensive stand from them. And that's kind of keeping them in these games uh, where before we might've seen them kind of blow a 20 point lead or a 17 point lead, like they did against the Pacers in the fourth quarter last Friday. Uh, now they're keeping their foot on the gas pedal. Um, the offense seems more directed and the defense has been great and it's helping them win games. Yeah, it is. And I, I, it's, yeah, like I said before, it's completely baffling. So let's talk about the unsustainable stuff. Cause to me, that's more, more fun to talk about, I guess. And, and one of the surprising things about this team at the moment is, I guess, the dynamic between Bobby Portison and Nikola Mirotic. So I think it would have been completely justified and completely normal if the two came together or couldn't come together, I guess I should say, and weren't able even to share the floor together, given what happened in the preseason. It's just crazy that one guy broke another guy's face. They were both in an altercation. You would think that would end the relationship to the point where they wouldn't actually want to be in the same room together. Yet here they are on the court together, playing most of their minutes together, or not, or at least a good chunk of their minutes, and they're not just playing well together, they're absolutely dominating teams. So it's a small sample size, only 54 minutes, but the, the Portis and Miritich combination is, is outscoring their opponents by 34.3 points per 100 possessions, which is just bonkers. So 54 minutes isn't a huge sample, but it's big enough to suggest that this pairing is working really well. Now, to me, I, I assume it's unsustainable based on their shooting numbers. The Bulls at the moment over the last five games Pretty much getting 35 points from Miritich and Portis combined, and, and both are shooting over 50% on threes through that st- uh, stretch. I'm assuming that's going to be unsustainable. I am, I mean, the three point stuff is, I think, just between them, you know, obviously Nico's not going to continue to shoot 50% on threes. I don't know exactly what Bobby's been shooting. That's going to go down. Um, if there's anything we know about Nico and his three point shooting, it's that it's inconsistent. And so, uh, that I feel pretty confident in, but the team is shooting 25% of their field goal percentage. 25% of their shots are coming from three. Um, and I don't think that the percentage is that much different. Uh, I think it's actually lower than I'm looking percent of points on uh, field goal percent on threes is 34% on the year and 25% over the last five games. So, uh, they have been shooting a lot of threes, but that isn't necessarily what's winning them games. I think it's more the mid-range attempts that are just going crazy. We've seen a lot of step-in twos. We've seen a lot of face-up uh, from the post from Nico and Bobby, and they're shooting 67, 63% on those over the past five games, up from 55% on the season. So I think that's where they're scoring a lot of their points and maybe won't necessarily sustain. Yeah, I think you're right there. But um, at the same time, they, they are playing a confident brand of basketball. And whilst their percentages will come down, I, I'm not sitting here thinking that either are suddenly going to regress to a player that I guess is going to be non-effective at all. They, they still look like they're going to to be quality players. And they're both guys that really thrive when they've got the opportunity to be volume offensive players. So once Markkinen is back, it'll be interesting to see how, how, Mar- uh, sorry, how Fred manages this situation because it'll be his first real test in the front court of of how to balance three guys at power forward that are actually worthy of 20 to 25 minutes each so 
I'm interested to see how that plays out once Markkinen is back, and ho- and hopefully that is very soon. But we've obviously been talking a lot about Nikola Mirotic, but I wanted to really expand on his game, obviously because he's been back and and looking like an MB- MVP all of a sudden. But um, you wrote a good piece up on the Athletic about. I guess, how he's playing and how he's putting it together. So given that you're on, I wanted to, to reference that article and really dive into it and sort of explain to the listeners how Miritic is going about this because it's not just uh, about the three-point shot. He's playing a complete basketball game at the moment. I think that's exactly it. Um, the past couple of years, he's been playing like fourth or fifth fiddle, uh, watching Jimmy and Dwayne Wade kind of isolate from the mid-post. Uh, he's been relegated to the role of spot-up shooter, where he is good at fr- at shooting from the corners, but not very good at shooting from uh, above the break. Um, and I think it's just kind of a misconception in you know what kind of player he is. I think he's much better with the ball in his hands. I've advocated uh, for a couple years now to put him in more pick-and-roll situations, whether it's handling or as a role man. I think he can do both. And we're seeing that now. I mean, he's uh, he's bringing the ball up the court and pulling up for three. He's getting deep into the low post and like scoring on guys when they switch a smaller guy onto him. Just destroyed Marcus Smart, who's a great post defender against the Celtics the other night, um, but also would blow by Al Horford uh, and get to the get to the rim. So he's really just doing everything. I think, as you mentioned, the confidence is huge. He's uh, he's just shooting the lights out. Like I said, I don't know if that's going to sustain, but, um, it is just good to see him kind of playing a more complete offensive game. And I think that, uh, that opens things up for him, right? Where, so if he's defended on the three point line, he can still break you down off the dribble or get into the post. Uh, if there's a guy that's too big on, um, on him in the post, he can kind of face you up and go by you or do a step back jumper. I mean, he's just showing so many offensive moves right now. And we just haven't seen this since really his rookie season. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to bring up his rookie season, but there's been other points in his career as well when he's had these sort of outbursts. And I guess the narrative around Miritic is that he's an inconsistent, hot and cold type player that, you know, every now and then will have these sort of scoring outbursts, particularly in March. But outside of that, he's... No, not not necessarily a productive player, and I've always challenged that notion because, or, or thinking that it was more to do with role than his actual ability. And so, so to me, it's not completely out of out of left field that Miritich is doing this, and we've seen it before, but we've only seen it in in parts because Miritich hasn't always been in these sort of roles, which he sort of referenced um, just before. And in, in his rookie season, we saw this because the Bulls really needed someone who could come off the bench and be a focal point of the offense. We, we saw it, uh, I think it was in 2016, in March, just by, I guess, happenstance, that the Bulls had a few injuries and Miritich was able to come in and, again, be that focal point and not be relegated just into being a spot-up shooter. He's never really been a spot-up shooter or, or a knockdown three-point shooter. He's always been a scorer, someone that... I guess, can score in a multitude of ways and probably gets that three-point shot rolling after he gets some confidence going to the rim or, or, or putting the ball on the floor and getting to the free-throw line. So do you think this is more about Miritich having an extended role in a role that he's actually comfortable in? And if so, have the Bulls been, I guess, misusing Miritich for the last two seasons? I mean, this kid was, uh, in his early 20s, the MVP of the Spanish League, um, and then he comes over 
and shoots 60% of his shots from three. I mean, that is not the right way to use Nico. This is the first year where he's been under 50% of his shots from three. He's right now at 46. The second lowest was his rookie year when he was at 50%, which was still really high. Um, I think the other thing with him is getting to the free throw line, which really bolsters his efficiency. Right now, he's shooting an otherworldly 67 true shooting percentage. That's not going to stay as high as it is. That's like uh, Steph Curry 2014-15 level. Um, But he has the highest free throw attempt rate since his rookie year. It's 33% as opposed to 45%. But the past two years, it's uh, been 20 and 30%. So much, much better uh, getting to the free throw line. Um, And like I said, diversifying his offense. And I think that opens up all these different scoring avenues for him. Uh, and I think the fact that the Bulls don't really have anybody that can create their own offense, um, you know, I, I think he's the best person at doing that on the team right now, and we're seeing him do it really well. Um, the degree of difficulty of these shots is not going to be getting any easier as teams kind of decide they want to game plan around Nico because he's the one that's kind of opening up all the offense for everybody else right now. Obviously, the assists aren't aren't there, but... Um, just the scoring is kind of attracting a lot of attention. And so um, that that's going to become harder and harder. But I think this is absolutely the role that Nico is kind of built for. I think there's a middle ground too, where he can kind of be a second or third option as opposed to a first option or a fifth option. But um, I think this is more along the lines of the Nico that, you know, the Nico truthers like you and me have been hoping for. Yeah, I guess I can uh, sit here comfortable as well as yourself and I feel somewhat vindicated, but at the same time, I am interested to see or maybe a little bit skeptical as well as to how Fred Hoiberg manages this this version of Nikola Mirotic when uh, Lowry Markkinen is back. So I wanted to focus on uh, the, the front court rotation, particularly at power forward. So I, I spoke about it last week with uh, VJ Vemu about how Fred Hoiberg can sort of manage this front court, but I didn't expect, I guess, at the same time, Bobby Portis and Nikola Mirotic to be playing so well that they really should be playing upwards of 20 or 25 minutes a game. And it was working nicely for Fred previously uh, once Markkinen was in the lineup because he was still giving 28 to 30 minutes to Lowry. He was still starting him. So on that front, it made a lot of sense. And he was sort of picking and choosing which big man he wanted to use as that backup power forward, be it Portis and Miritich, and both were around that 15 to 20 minute mark. But based on the way they're playing at the moment, there's going to be, I think, a little bit of an adjustment here. So if you were Fred Hoiberg, how would you be managing this situation uh, at power forward? Well, I think it's not necessarily limited to power forward. Uh, There's some news that happened uh, just a couple of minutes ago, recording this on a Saturday afternoon, Saturday afternoon, uh, central time. Um, but Chris Felicio was assigned to the Windy City Bulls. I think he's pretty much out of the rotation. And I think that we're going to see a lot more of Nico and Bobby both playing backup center um, as Markinen comes back. They've been playing together, so they, they have both been playing the five just a little bit. But um, I think that we're going to see more of these five out lineups. I think that's more along the lines of what Fred wants to do. Um, I'm excited to see more of Lowry and Nico. I think that could be a really fun pairing uh, in the front court. Um, it's mostly been Bobby playing backup center, but, um, so that, that kind of leaves you with, with four guys instead of five to, to manage in that front court. Um, and I think also like you're going to not see Zipser playing anymore Four, he was doing that just a little bit, um, when Nico was out. 
So I think those minutes will kind of normalize in that way. Um, and there's going to be just a lot of different pairings between those two. But I think ultimately you have to play Nico. You have to play Lowry. Those are like the two guys that you have to play. Um, I think Bobby's minutes are going to take a little bit of a hit just because of the defense. I mean, he shot nine of 16 last night, which is great, but I don't think you can count on that every night. And so if he's not just absolutely on fire, I can see him losing some minutes. And then I could see Lopez losing some minutes just because, you know, he's the most professional guy on the team and um, understands the value of having those five out lineups. And, you know, I think that's just what's going to happen. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. And Lopez is one of those guys that just completely goes under the radar. So last night against the Bucks, he had 18 points, eight rebounds, six of them being offensive and played 29 strong minutes. And you pretty much don't hear a word about his game at all, which I guess makes sense given what Miritich and Portis were doing. But obviously Lopez brings a lot of value to this team, but he's averaging 30 minutes a game this season. Uh, same thing with Lowry Markman, they're both at 30, and obviously those numbers are bolstered by the fact that Portis and Miritich were out for a good chunk of the season, so Fred obviously had to rely on these guys, but I'm expecting their minutes to drop maybe two to three minutes each at least. Do you yeah, think, think Lowry will lose I think minutes? that's about right. Um, yeah, I think probably a couple. I don't think it's going to be slash and half or anything like that. It, it certainly better not be. But um, I could definitely see him losing some minutes. But at the same time, I mean, you have to really have your eyes on the future here uh, and know that, you know, Nico and Bobby, neither of them are probably going to be around for the next, like, real great Bulls team. I don't think that, well, maybe Bobby stays around, but I don't think Nico is going to be around past even this year. I think they probably try to move him. I know they're trying to. Um, so that could certainly free up some minutes, but, um, you really have to think about the importance of like developing Lowry here. That's got to be priority number one. I would agree with that, but I'm, I'm sort of wondering, do you think there is a chance here that Fred Hoiberg tries not to do, disrupt Miritich in the starting unit? And do, do you think there's a chance that Lowry Malkinen comes back as a backup big, or do you think he goes straight back into the starting lineup once he returns? You know, that's a tough one. I've always struggled with that decision. Like if somebody gets hurt and then they lose their spot. Um, I think it's easy when it's like a star player and a clear backup to just say, yeah, you can have your spot back. But I do uh, understand why some people might say like Nico's playing really well right now. We got to keep him, uh, keep this going and keep him kind of happy. Keep him, keep his minutes up. Um I think they're going to be taking a pretty conservative role with Lowry in terms of his back. I think this is starting to worry me a little bit just because it's been a a problem since basically Eurobasket. Um, And so I think they're going to limit his minutes a little bit in that way. But um, ultimately, I don't necessarily think it matters who starts. I just I want the majority of minutes to go to Markkanen. So as long as he's healthy, um, I don't really think it matters if they bring him off the bench. Um, like I said, I think it's more likely that Nico is gone by the trade deadline than, um, than anything. And so if they start him for a, few, a month and a month or two, just to pump that value, I'm fine with that. Yeah, look, I would agree with that. And I guess this power forward rotation is going to be a, an interesting microcosm or, or a subplot of how the team is going to really perform from here on out. Do, do they really try to rely on guys like Miritich or Lopez, David Nwaba, who 
I guess the more seasoned, more mature in terms of age, around that, I guess, 25 years old range, which, which Nwaba and Miritic are. Lopez is obviously a little bit older, around that 30 mark. And it'll be interesting to see now if the team really starts to rely on these veterans to, I guess, try to win games or they do they try to scale it back and actually try to get that tank back on, back on track and, I, I guess, try to limit what Miritic is doing as well as maybe moving guys like Lopez and Miritic. So let's quickly talk about that because I think that's going to feed into the next point that I wanted to raise thereafter. And, and it's a, it's another, I guess, piece that was written on The Athletic this week by uh, your colleague Stefan No is, uh, I guess, looking at potential trade partners or ways that the Bulls could potentially move on from Nicola Miritic and Robin Lopez, who are obviously the two most experienced guys in the front court and both obviously have have played and will play very useful roles in that front court. So in your mind, do you think the Bulls need to trade both? Or if it's just one guy, which one do you think it is more, I guess, uh, prevalent to move? Um, I think, you know, I love both of these guys. I am a big fan of Robin, who just does everything with the team first in mind. Um, I love, I've just always been a fan of Nico and I always thought that he had more potential than the way he was performing um and so like we said it's like nice to see him playing this well um if you look at it from the perspective of other teams who are trying to compete right now who are the ones that would likely be looking at a guy like nico or robin lopez right because they're a little bit older um you want you know a couple of years on their contract remaining that are they're both on pretty like team friendly deals it's going to be a team that is competitive that's trying to get over the top that's trying to add some depth uh, to get over the top, right? So um, I think Miritic probably has some more value in that way just because he's a more modern player. I don't think there are very many teams who are seeking kind of a slow-footed big man like Robin Lopez. I mean, Robin has shown that he can hit the mid-range jumper. He's shown that he can be kind of a reliable post-scorer with that ice cream scoop uh, hook shot. But I just don't think very many teams are looking for that. They're looking for guys that you can plug in at the end of the game to switch on to point guards on pick and roll. Um, they're looking for stretch fives that can also kind of defend the rim and like step out onto guards, right? And and Lopez just doesn't really fit that bill. And I think because of that, he's more valuable to the Bulls than he would be to any other team. Um, I don't know. If I was another team, I would not give up a first-round pick for Lopez, I don't think. I mean, it would take a very certain situation like maybe in Portland if Yusuf Nurkic gets hurt and they are trying to make a playoff push they could kind of uh try to get Lopez back he spent a lot of time there um but it just seems like it would have to be an injury because every team already has that center that they're trying to figure out what to do with um whether it's the Raptors and with Jonas Valanciunas or um you know Mason Plumlee or whoever it is uh, teams just aren't really looking for that kind of player. And so I think it becomes more valuable for the Bulls to have that leadership quality, um, that team first mentality, to have him around trying to teach these guys the those characteristics more than it would uh, a second round draft pick. Um, with Nico, I think the way he's playing right now, you probably get a little bit more for him. I think teams would be more interested in a player like Nika, who's a good positional defender, who's playing really well offensively, um, who can kind of take guys who are too big off the dribble or post up guys that are too small. He's been playing a lot smarter this year. 
So I, I hope that a team um, that can kind of coach him up and, and continue to make him into like a smarter player, I, I would hope that, that that would be the kind of team that would be looking for him. And uh, I don't know if it's a first round pick. I would hope so. I think he's worth it. But um, I, I just think it makes more sense to move Nico, to move on from Nico, because one, he's helping the Bulls win too many games. And it's on Gar Foreman and John Paxson to basically not give Fred Hoiberg enough to work with to win games right now because they need that number one pick. Um, and, you know, it's on and I think there's always this battle between the the front office doing that and the coach still wanting to win games. And I think he's going to keep playing Nico because Nico keeps playing well. Yeah, look, I, I agree pretty much 100% with everything you just said. And surprise, surprise about that. But um... Sorry, I was rambling. No, no, look, no, you made complete sense and I'm happy for you to go on those long tangents when they make complete sense and if you weren't going to, that's exactly what was going to be my answer and I think what we need to remember about Robin Lopez is the team was 3-20 and with him, so whilst he's doing a lot of good things and I've been wildly impressed with how effective he has been in the development of Chris Dunn and Larry Markinen and how he makes, I guess, the game so much easier for those players, which is obviously imperative for, for really young players, having these sort of role players that can be out there, teaching them on the court as well as off the court. The Bulls were still a bad team with Robin Lopez, so even if they do keep him around, we've seen enough of a sample to suggest that the team can be a bad team with him around while still producing good competitive basketball and teaching these younger players how to be good professionals. Whereas uh, with Miritich, he's obviously come in straight away and the team has won five games and he's, like I said, playing like an MVP of sorts, which is obviously somewhat of an exaggeration, but he's been at an all-star level, let's say. But um, thinking about it, obviously Miritich is the one that needs to go and to expand on your point there, he also, I guess, has the more favorable contract in the sense that his second year is a team option. Miritich would have to agree to a trade. He does have the veto ability to, I guess, deny the Bulls a, a trade. But I think if the team were to move into, I guess, a situation that makes sense and he would have a similar role, I don't necessarily think he would veto that trade. If if, he, if they were sending him to a terrible team, obviously he may do so. But I think with good open communication that it should be a situation where they wish they would be able to move on from each other. So that's what I'm hoping at least. And Two teams that I that I think may be suitable destinations for Nikola Mirotic, and I'm probably, uh, I guess, looking at it this more from a Chicago's perspective than more so these two teams themselves, and who knows if they would actually agree to it. But the Utah Jazz currently have the, the 12th worst record in the league, uh, looking at a lottery pick at this point, but even, even if it's not, it should be a, a pick around in that mid-first range as well as the Minnesota Timberwolves. So obviously there is a connection with the Chicago Bulls there, but the Wolves currently have the OKC pick, which OKC pick, which is uh, currently sitting at pick 16 um, at the moment. So there are two teams where I think could need a bit of a boost at power forward. The, the, the Jazz, I guess, have tried this Go Bear and Favors lineup for quite a while now, and I, I think they need to move on with that. I think... Having Gobert there makes sense at center, but they need that stretch option at power forward, and they've been playing a lot of Jonas Jurepko there, and I guess Miritich is an upgrade over Jurepko, and the Wolves themselves, they Tibbs is pretty much only playing eight players at the moment, and they definitely need some front court help. I wonder if either the Jazz or the Minnesota Timberwolves would be interested in, in, in Nico. 
I think both those teams make a lot of sense. Um, I hadn't thought about, I thought about the, the Nico and Tibbs thing a little bit, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the Jazz would be a great fit. Rudy Gobert just went down with another PCL injury last night. And so, um, they are going to be sliding favors back over to the center and playing a lot of Drebko. I could see them needing Nico, um, and him being like a really good fit there. Uh, I think there are other teams like the Spurs, the Nets, um, who, um, I just think are really smart teams that that would use him the right way that that could get a lot out of him uh, that might be interested. Um, it's all gonna depend on money and picks, right? Like the Bulls have to be able to basically get assets back no matter what they do, um, and so it's just gonna ma- be a matter of who can afford that. Exactly, and, and like I said, I was probably looking at it more so from Chicago's perspective because. For the Jazz, obviously they'd like to have a player like Nikola Mirotic on their roster, but at the same time, would they be willing to give up a potential lottery pick for Mirotic? Probably not. And and same thing with Minnesota. They they desperately needed talent infusion, but they're sitting fourth in the West at the moment. They're not going 100%, but uh, I guess they're still fourth in the West and have a, a, a good winning record, so maybe they're not ready to shake things up just yet. But I guess what I was looking at was teams that are on the precipice of a playoff performance, may need a bolster of that rotation and and someone that can help them score the ball. And those were two teams I was looking at. So hopefully the Bulls are focusing on that and and maybe they could find a good first-round pick for Miritich. But I guess something else that I was looking at as well, which is a little bit comical, is and and not necessarily a first-round pick, but maybe they could engineer a trade back to New York uh, or receiving back, I should say, that pick that they gave away in the Cameron Crane trade, which is currently sitting second in the second round, which is going to be a valuable second rounder. So uh, maybe they could offload one of, of Miritich and Lopez to New York and, and maybe uh, recoup that second round, the second rounder that they lost in the McDermott and Payne trade. Don't even get me started about these traded <laughs> second round picks. Um, yeah, I also just of thought of, I thought of Detroit could be another one. I think he fits the Stan Van Gundy uh, yep. the bill there. Mm-hmm. Um the Hornets, maybe the Wizards. I don't know. I mean, I think there are. are I, I could see Nico landing in a lot of different places where maybe Robin is a little bit harder to find a partner with, and so I guess that's part of the reason why um, I think it makes more sense to try to deal Nico. I mean, the other thing is, and we haven't talked about this yet, is Bobby Portis being on the move. Um, I don't. I think he's kind of rehabilitated his image a little bit at least since the whole like fight thing uh and he's obviously been playing really well he's gonna be third on the power forward depth chart maybe a team sees him and says you know he's been playing a little five maybe we convert him to a full-time five he can shoot the ball he can score in the post a little bit and they can kind of uh use him as just like a scoring big off the bench doesn't necessarily need to be uh much in the way of a defender so maybe a team wants him too and i'd be happy to get him off the roster (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, look, I, I was pretty adamant that uh, I didn't want to see Bobby Porter's back on this roster after that incident occurred, but he has been playing really well, and yeah, maybe he is option a bit at the same time. Of the three that we mentioned, he's probably the least likely to go, because whilst Miritich was involved in that altercation, he was, ultimately he was the one that had the broken face, he wasn't one that threw the fist, so... That's hard. That's a hard image to rehabilitate. And um, even though he's been playing better, I I think the Bulls are going to be stuck with him to a degree. But yeah, maybe he is an option as as we get closer into January and February. Maybe things change a little bit. But the reason why I wanted to talk about those trades was, I guess that it may be necessary that the Bulls need to pull their 
pull their uh, their finger out, I guess, and start making some moves around these trades because the team is playing, obviously, a really competitive brand of basketball at the moment. They're 5-0 over their last five games. But even if they were 2-3, two, two and three, the, I think the team is looking completely different now to the one that we saw in the first 20 to 25 games of the season. It's completely changed. And we obviously, we've talked about how they're playing and why they're looking better. But I guess what I wanted to focus on now is around this tanking or this rebuilding that the Bulls were meant to be in and it potentially being in jeopardy. I know there's sort of varying opinions out there as to whether the Bulls are going to remain a bad team or not, but where do you sit on that? So they went from being the number one projected pick uh, before the five-game win streak to the number third projected pick. They The number second pick is Dallas right now, and they are two games out. Um, and the number nine pick is five games out. So three games separate these seven teams, the Bulls are two and a half. So, but I mean, if they keep winning, uh, this is all very jumbled here and could get out of like the top 10 pretty quickly. Um, I don't think that that, that that will necessarily happen. I mean, they still, they need to stay hot. And I think this is more of an anomaly than uh, something that you can expect going forward. But um, it does get you a little bit worried, right? I mean, this is a quarter of the wins that I was expecting this team to have this year. So, um I am a little worried. I think, like I said, it's on the front office to like make this happen more than it is the coaching staff. I don't think that you can feasibly ask Fred Hoiberg to lose games on purpose. I think what you have to do is have the front office put a roster that just can't win games. Um, but I think also you have to just be in acquisition asset acquisition mode as much as possible right now. I mean, this team despite having a couple of nice pieces in Chris Dunn and Markkanen uh, and Levine when he gets back. Um, and, and people have been saying that they're getting higher on the return for the Jimmy Butler trade, which is a whole nother story. Um, but you still need to get more. I mean, you can't, you can't just say we're going to be bad this year and that's enough because right now they're not as bad as they should be. So they need to get picks from other teams. They need to uh, kind of help themselves in that way because they'll be losing more games by getting rid of their good players and also getting more picks. So I think that's really uh, going to be of importance, and I would expect that they will be making some moves uh, around the deadline. Well, let's hope so because at the moment they're only, uh, I guess they're tied with Phoenix for that third place or that third worst record in the league, but they're only really one game away from being uh I guess sitting sixth in terms of the worst records in the league or depending on how you're looking at it, whether it's the best or worst up and down, these sorts of things. But it'll only take one one win, I guess, to sort of move them from third where they're now uh, sitting at third worst to somewhere around that five to six range, depending on how other results fall. So with the game against the Philadelphia 76ers on Monday and then uh, the Orlando Magic on Wednesday, it's not inconceivable that the team could win another two games, particularly against the Sixers at the moment that had a third, a three-overtime game against OKC the other day and Joel Embiid played a career high in minutes and was clearly lumbering up and down the court looking very tired and sore. So it wouldn't surprise me for whatever reason Embiid didn't play against the Bulls. And if, that, if that's the case, it really does extend the opportunity there for the Bulls to continue on their winning ways. So... I am slightly concerned about the tank, and I know that there's been some smart people out there suggesting that the team is going to remain a bottom three team, that this obviously is a somewhat of a variance, things are unsustainable, and 
it will eventually even itself out. But at the same time, the team does look completely completely different, as I mentioned before. They look a lot more competitive. And once Levine is back and you sort of can take away Paul Zipser and even Denzel Valentine's minutes and put in Zach Levine instead, again, that bolsters that rotation for Fred Hoiberg once more. So they really need to look at these Miritich and, and Lopez trades, particularly Miritich, as we sort of discussed, because... I am one that isn't getting too concerned, I guess. I think that obviously we have to wait until January 15 to trade Miritich, but at the same time, they have racked up five wins and those five wins will count at the end of the season and they're the sort of runs that you don't want to be having. Absolutely. And I think also, I mean, people talk about this draft uh, in the terms of like you need a top five pick if you want a franchise player. And I tend to agree with that, that like the top five guys are going to be very, very good. But I am so much higher on Luka Doncic than I am on any of the other top four guys. And I think, you know, this kid has the potential to be a really, really special player. Um, And if this is a time that you have to be bad, it's like not the end of the world because the prize could be Luka Doncic. And I think um, missing him, you know, it'd be great to get Aiden or whoever else. But uh I really want Doncic, and I think that they need to pretty much do whatever they can do in order to get him. I 100% agree. I am a Doncic fan. He's the number one pick, in my opinion, and that's exactly who I want the Bulls to have. And if we think about this rebuild and, and, and I guess, project forward, marketing, Dunn and Levine, uh, the building or the core that we start to build around, that three-man unit there looks completely different when you add someone like Luka Doncic to that rather than maybe Miles Bridges or someone of that nature so it really does change the complexion of the rebuild if you can I guess I get get a guy like Doncic versus another guy that will be a very good player in someone like Miles Bridges I'm using him and picking on him to a degree <laughs> obviously you can tell that by the tone of my voice and um whilst he will be a good player uh, he's not exactly the type of player you want to get in year one of the rebuild where I guess this is probably where the Bulls are going to be at their worst. So it, it is really imperative for the team to get to as use, high as... Go ahead. I was just going to say, to use the, um, the the jargon that the front office uses or has used in the past, like Levine, Dunn, Markinen, I think those are all guys that you build with. I think Doncic <laughs> is a guy that you build around. And well, I yeah. think you can probably say that about Aiton too, uh, but I just... I think, I mean, I'd be really happy with Aiden, but I think Doncic is far and away the best prospect. I think he's going to be far and away the best player of this draft. I think he's probably going to be like, you know, a top, I said this on my show, top 15 to top 10 player in the league at some point in his career. Uh, he's that special. And um, yeah, when you put him, when you put Dunn, Levine, Doncic, Markinen, and center out there, I think that's like a lineup that you could potentially be kind of scared of in the East. Yeah, and, and whether it's Doncic or whether it's Aiton, they're both they're both guys that play a role or play a position that the Bulls need. So they make complete logical sense to add either of those guys. And as a fan, looking at this rebuild, I think uh, the rebuild goes along much quicker if they, and it will be much more successful, I should say, if they, I guess, really start to prioritize the tank now and, and really lock in um, into the, one of those top two or three positions and try to get one of those guys rather than keeping this thing afloat and, and keep running with it and maybe end up with the, the eighth pick in the draft or something like that. I think that would be catastrophic. Maybe that's me being 
a little bit dramatic, but at the same time, I'm all about the losses at this point whilst developing talent. And I don't really want to see guys like Miritich leading the Bulls to winning streaks, even though it is, I guess, uh, somewhat of a justification for like a, like you and you and I, two Miritich fans. It's it's awesome seeing him seeing him play this well, but at the same time, it's probably not what we want to see. For the Bulls from a long-term perspective, but uh, I am a little bit worried, but we'll, we'll see how this goes out, and um, they do have some tough games coming up as well, so they've got, obviously, the the Sixers and the Magic, which I spoke about before, but thereafter, they've got the Cavs, the Celtics, and the Bucks um, on the road, so those three games there that potentially could help um, maybe restore things back in order, but uh, we shall see, but... That's pretty much all I had for today. So, um, Will, I appreciate you coming on, mate. And, and like we said before, if it was the first time, um, I really did enjoy this uh, catching up. It's always fun talking to you. Uh, where can people follow you online? Uh, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at Won't Gottlieb. Uh, you can subscribe and read my articles at The Athletic, um, which I hope you all do. And listen to my podcast with Stefan No. Uh, Bullcourt Press, which we tweet all of our episodes out, so you can find those there if you liked what I had to say. And uh, yeah, I can't remember whether or not this is the first time I've been on the show, but it was a pleasure. Thanks again for having me. No problem at all. We'll do it again sometime. And and I guess people, if they're listening to this show or, or following Bulls HQ, there's a good chance I already know about Will. But I would also just just to um, double down on that point, I would suggest definitely getting a subscription to the Athletic because. Obviously, Willie's on there, but there are uh, a, a, a lot of good Bulls writers on there, particularly Stefan No and, and Darnell Mabry, along with Will. They do probably the best work covering the Bulls online, and, and I would definitely suggest getting a, a subscription to The Athletic. And given that it is Christmas time, well, it's probably an opportune time to actually get a subscription. Yeah, I don't know what the um, codes are to get good deals, but I would imagine that there will be a couple of good ones around Christmas, around New Year's. Um, so look out for those. And uh, we have a, a code on our podcast that gives you a little bit of a discount, I think 25% off. Um, so listen to our show and you can find out what that is. Exactly. So, uh, Will, thank you for joining me and um, we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Thanks again. Rose Davis, historian and co-host of the sports podcast, Burn It All Down. And now I'm hosting the new season of American Prodigy, all about Black girls in gymnastics. For the last 40 years, Black gymnasts have moved from the margins to the core of the sport and changed gymnastics along the way. Now they tell their stories. You'll meet trailblazers like Diane Durham, superstars like Jordan Childs, and everyone in between. Listen to American Prodigies on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.